Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. We're about to take you through the best bits of uh, 2021. That's it. Second half of the season. Oh, Matt, I just saw your glasses empty. Little seltzer. Yeah, we're on the seltzer and also we've regressed to the... Uh, that was a very poor <laughs> ching, man. <laughs> cheers didn't sound good with the two cans. Yeah, we regressed. Last time we made the joke that we'd step back to the Johnny Black. We went one step back to the Johnny Red this time. Yeah. And the half-size bottle as well. Yeah. In life, you sort of want to progress and sort of go from the red up to the blue and see colors beyond that. I'm not sure. There must be. There must be. Yeah. But we're anyway, we're going back the other way. We're going <laughs> cheaper. The sooner we're going to be drinking, uh, remember the old rice wine when we were in Lombok? We're going to be in the rice wine at one stage, I think. That would have been the very first ever best of, I reckon. Yeah, rice wine. Mm. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was in that was in, in that room, oh. <laughs> which came up 12 months ago oh, as well. God, let's not That's go still, there. Don't let's get that stuff. We got. A, I think we got a one-star review. We got a bad review. That. And that, and Fair enough. Reasonable as well. Yeah. Um, but we won't mention that story again, unless you want to go back to the best of no. 2020. Uh yeah, the best of. We normally do a, a, our top 10, respectively, uh, from the last six months or so. A bit of preamble. The book, mate. The note says... Book shit. Book shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Launched the book in uh, June. Well, we haven't had the chance to celebrate, really. Mm. Uh, we were talking about... We got smacked by lockdown laws. Yeah. So we, we said we'll do it. When we launched the book, we'll do a big celebration... Got locked down, got let out. Oh, we'll do a big celebration. Got locked down again. So I guess that's it tonight. We'll tonight's a celebration. Going to the casino, having a big night, and then going on to other endeavors later in the evening. After so we'll see where that takes us. <laughs> I suppose it depends how we go at the casino. Yeah. We might be walking home. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, well, the book's been above expectations, I'd, mm. I'd say, for both of us. I mean, it's not black swan, fucking stick your finger up at everybody, drive a Lamborghini and, um, you know, hang out with the, the Gates man and whatnot. It's not that level, but it's well and truly above expectations in how but it's selling. I would, say the, I would say the launch period probably met expectations and, and slightly exceeded, but the period post that definitely exceeded because I thought there'd be a big drop off mm. post launch. Well, that's what you want, isn't it? You want your product to like, it's in perennial seller, that's what it says, it's Word of mouth is pretty much everything. So you can have this ignition on the fire at the very start and then it just fades away and no one knows about it. <laughs> yep. But I guess our, like we had a little ignition at the start and then it's slowly been burning and growing. That's right. And then the feedback's been increasing as well. The more people who read it, mm. we're getting stronger and stronger feedback that it's been a uh, super book. The Lindy Effect says we've got a, about five months left in this. But if we get through those five months, then it becomes 10 months. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> so, Never ending. So hopefully it keeps going. Do you, have you ever uh, taken that calculation to its very end? <laughs> goes to infinity oh, for every single product. <laughs> if it lasts one day, then it should last another day. But then if it lasts two days, Correct. it lasts four. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty flawed, that whole, whole, whole idea. But All you need to do is last for one minute and then you can make it to oh, infinity. <laughs> a second. All you need to do is launch something and you've got something that's going to last longer than the whole entire universe. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so the effect is good. Yeah. Yeah, he's done. Oz, the, the bakery's done. Oh, Lindy, Lindy's done. Lindy's dead. The bakery's gone. <laughs> Lindy's wrong. Poor Lindy. Poor Lindy. Yeah. What else, man? We get in the preamble. We had some bloody strong interviews. Oh, in the last the six best, months. Yes. Carnaman, Pressfield, Green, and Holiday, uh, with a few others as well. But I'd say they would. Carnaman, Pressfield, and Holiday would have been three on our 
dream list for years. And Green, obviously, is number one as well to get him back for round two as well. So very fucking, very fucking strong batch of interviews. Out of all of them, I feel like Kahneman, before doing the podcast, with all right, Kahneman. No hard, prize winner. No prize winner. He's old. Yeah. Hard to get, surely, <laughs> on the retirement. Limited with his time, which he is. Very limited about who he chooses. So of course. To land Kahneman. Oh. Yeah. No, that was a good one. Mate, that wasn't a, I don't. I, haven't, I don't think we've reflected enough on how no. cool it was to be able to speak to that dude. And he was a legend as well. I don't know if we mentioned about how he oh, was worried about the, the yeah. email. Like, like thirty minutes before, he was emailing us saying there was he was in a hotel and there was some drilling mm. going on. And he was worried for us, for our sakes, and we're like, I don't care. You know, fucking in a construction site, we'll still talk to you. Yeah, uh, he was <laughs> if you're the one on the legend. fucking jackhammer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And when we fucked up, like we were trying Riverside for the first time. Not yeah. that shit on Riverside. It's been pretty good since then. Um, but yeah, we fucked up on our end, but he was just. Felt very bad yeah. for the situation. We had to quickly jump on Zoom. Yeah. And it wasn't about him at all. It was about us, even though we're little plebs compared to the, <laughs> the DK. He's, he's got his shit sorted. I couldn't believe it. We're just having our pre-chat. And it was all going well, going fine. We're like, okay, we'll hit record now. There's a countdown, five, four, three, two, one. As soon as we started talking, he was like, I can't hear you anymore. <laughs> just literally as soon as we hit record, our, our, our audio system just conked it. It was yeah. unbelievable. But we got there in the end. Holiday, the other ones were good. Holiday was good other than the... Um, Your question. I, like, have we spoken about this question to the audience? No. Nah. If, if anyone's listening to the interview, they would have been hearing my question thinking, right, Jonesy <laughs> has got a wisdom bomb question, mm. which you can take down mountains. Um. Asked the question. The build-up was beautiful. I was like, I was nodding my head as I said it with <laughs> you're a like smile. You're, you're patting like, yourself on the back. Like, or... I've, re- I've said a good question then. <laughs> and he, what was he come back with? He said, uh, he was basically just What like, was the question? The question, you, you said it was something around creating opportunities. Like how did you, you know, he didn't take opportunities, but he created his own opportunities out of thin air. But there was more build-up to it. And of course he has. Like he was started very young, becoming the head of marketing at a big company, obviously writing books from an early age as well. And then... You had like all these examples and I think he was answering his email. <laughs> he was looking at something off in the distance. Mate, there was a few dings going on in the background. <laughs> like the old uh, Outlook one. I could, hear, I could just hear like... <laughs> in the background. And then, and then you got to the end of the question. You asked the question like, how do you do it? And he's like, yeah, that's what everyone does. And, that's what and that was it. Does. It was probably the worst answer to any question that ever. A, that was the answer. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're gonna. I think that's gonna be a staple of a few more interviews. That exact question. I'll try and get see if you can get a better answer to that same question. That question I <laughs> Mate, also going back, this episode twelve months ago, best of twenty twenty. I mentioned to you that it was it was ring time. Mate, fast forward twelve months. Uh, mate, have you got any news? Yeah, I got on the knee, mate. Time. Got on yeah. the knee. Got a ring. <laughs> nice. Got a bit of a diamond happening, and yeah, it's a big moment, isn't it? Like you, I didn't think. No one really talks about that. Everyone talks about the wedding day, not mm. the engagement moment. Like before it, it's like, it's a much bigger deal than I probably anticipated. It's quite emotional and all that. Definitely. Yeah. Do you want to, do you want to give any more insight? Uh, in what way? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I remember Corey was just saying that there was, there was lots of tears flowing <laughs> from both sides before it had even happened. <laughs> Yeah, I was. Uh, we got we got a video of it. And my, the pitch of my inflection of my voice was. Oh, really? I haven't seen this. I'll show you the video later. I haven't showed like anyone really. But I'll show you the start of it. It's just me going, "Hey!" Like the, the inflection oh. as she walked into the room, and the the picture I was talking at was 
B sharp or what's the highest pitch? <laughs> it's very high, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what um there's there's no B sharp. No, Anyone who knows music Simpsons. knows that there's no B sharp. Okay. <laughs> I think that was kind of the joke of, of the Simpsons. Okay. Um she had no idea? She had no idea? No, nah, I think no, no. But then well, she as soon as she heard that voice, she would have known something no, was No, she up. didn't. She didn't. Okay. I had it uh I had it in a bag. Because it was a birthday using the cover. Mm. So I said, oh, here's your birthday present. And I had tissues in it and a big bag. And then she was driving her hand through it. She grabbed it and she thought it was earrings, mm. even though it was like a ring box. Mm. You saw like a bit of glimmer of hope in her eyes. And then, oh, it's just a, it's just an <laughs> earring or something. This is going to be and then when I got on the earrings. knee, uh, yeah, she lost it. Oh, nice. Oh, that's yeah. great. No, it is a good moment, isn't it? It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And mate, you got your, well, yeah. 12 months ago. You're where I am now, and that's right. Your actual marriage is a couple of yeah, end of what end of six Jan, six weeks away or something. Yeah, end of Jan is the the big day. Hmm. Alison's been working hard planning. I've been supporting by saying, "Yep, those are good. Yep, let's go with actor. that. Yep, that's good. Yep, yep I agree. Yep." <laughs> <laughs> so Basically, adding nothing, <laughs> giving nothing. But now, looking Zilch. forward to it. Should be good. And, and then before then as well, obviously the uh, the Bucks party between now oh. and then as well. So Which you don't one. know what's happening. <laughs> I've got no idea what's happening. dropped it on you the other day. I'm yeah. Really stressed oh, yeah. about that. Made the Facebook message group thread. You thought yeah. all had been revealed, but no, I was Mate, in and out. we a few secrets oh, prepared for you. Oh, God. Don't you worry. Will those be coming up in the uh, the next best of or are they just for The next best of. What goes on we'll... Bucks stays on Bucks. Nah, I think they'll come up. <laughs> they'll come up. Fuck, I'm nervous now. You might not have sure. a uh, – in 12 months' time, it might be more somber on the relationships front <laughs> after we drop what's going to happen, but that's all right. There may, may not be a wedding if <laughs> – Correct. It's all, it's all over, mate, after this Bucks. Oh, my God. Yeah, you should be worried. Mate, is that enough preamble? I think it probably is. It's I think probably, probably a record preamble. <laughs> probably sick of. I can imagine people like uh, like I listen to podcasts <laughs> when people preamble, and this is why we never preamble, yeah, right? Like, never. We're always straight into it because we hate. I, I I actually fucking hate man mm. podcasts. The preamble for like like we have today. <laughs> people who think that they're fucking so important that people want to hear what shit they're the talking. Shit, exactly the sort of shit we've <laughs> exactly been speaking about now. Been doing. I hate it. That's why we never do it. But we let ourselves. We don't twice a, a year. F- twice a year. The best of the season and the best of the year. Yeah. 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 Um, well, mate, I reckon it's probably, before we get into the 10, your your drink's probably nearly empty. So we should quickly refuel and then we'll get back Let's into the top it. 10. I might do a whiz as well. <laughs> of course. Mate, even after all that preamble, we didn't even mention the burgers. Every best of a burger comes up. The burger has not been consumed yet. It's, it's coming it's later. It's coming later. We're recording a bit earlier this year. We are, yeah. That's late Arvo. So, mate, we're about to get into our um, top 10 for both of us for the half season. Uh, before we get into that, we always do a bit of honorable mentions, mm. some good books. For me, it was a very strong season. Mm. Like, extremely strong, man. Like, it's hard... Like a book I met say is the first one, which uh, Drama of the Gifted Child. It'll be like, surely that's a top six. It's a mm. powerful book. I'm not making my top ten this year. Wow. So that's an honorable. I've got I haven't had uh there's been times where I've struggled to get to the top ten. And I reckon I think maybe the last one we did, I was like I had like a six or seven and then I was just sort of padding out the ten. Mm. I've got a lot of honorables this time. I feel like what I know for sure, Oprah Winfrey, Think yeah. Again, Adam Grant, which is probably a lot Didn't of people love that book. Neither of us. Neither of us. That's an honorable for both of us. Jesus. 
New Run Holiday Book, Courage is Calling, didn't get near my top 10. That's probably Jesus. N- probably wouldn't even, maybe not in the top 15 even of this season. So that's a strong season. I think again, probably should have got in mine. In <laughs> I remember one season I forgot Sapiens and those are my favorite books of all time. <laughs> yeah, you, Sometimes even like, get yeah. you probably need another look. The most, I've got two super painful honorable mentions. Mm. Man's Search for Meaning isn't in my top 10. Well, that's coming like right. later. Yeah, but so that's, this is honorable mentions. Is it? It doesn't. It doesn't for, come up later. But yeah. for you, it was painful. Okay, that, that's like a painful one not to get in the top ten because it was whenever we previously did it because this is the second time we've done it. Definitely would have been in the top ten. That's insane. You know what's the most ridiculous for both of us? Not in either of our top ten. Noise. Daniel Kahneman. Oh shit! Did that I is put ridic- that in my top ten. It's your honor. You put it's in here. Yeah, it's an honorable oh, for God. AJ honorable mention. Noise. AA, painful honourable mention, noise. Just after we're pumping his tyres up, which is a bloody good book. When we read noise. Five stars. Yeah, same. We read noise, second episode of this season. I would have been like instantly top three. Definitely top three for this season. And it didn't even make the top ten. So It was incredible, man. Noise. Geez. Fucking Daniel Kahneman. We interviewed yeah. the Nobel Prize winner and neither of us put it in our and top the phenom- ten. Like, people are going to be spruiking the word noise like they're spruiking system one and two, like thinking fast yeah. and slow. And rightly so, I've been spruiking it. I've been sounding super smart saying, hey, that's just a noisy <laughs> noisy right. thing you're saying there, Jimmy. Yeah, you talked about like thinking fast and slow is all about bias, like errors in decision-making because of bias. If you're shooting at the target at archery and you're always missing off to the left, that's bias. Noise is when you're just all over the shop, a little bit left, a little bit high, a little bit low, a little bit off to the right, that's noise. Mm. Fantastic concept. <laughs> Neither has got it in the top 10. Let's get into the Actually, maybe 10. we should. I want to change mine. It should get I want in to change there. mine because I'm looking at my 10 now. And noise is better than this one. <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll go get into the top it. 10. 10 is noise. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. 10 is karma. Also, a good book. That'd be hard Phenomenal. to knock it in the top 10. Phenomenal book by Sadaguru. Very wise man. Like, it's very good to just get some of the weirdest, interesting minds on the planet. Put what they think of a concept right into a book, and in this case, karma. Because I think the um, conception I had previously, like a lot of people, is very different to what it actually is. Mm. Like he uses the metaphor, it's a bit like an old software you've written for yourself unconsciously, like a CD player. You put your karmic imprint on the CD player, life hits play, and then the same thing goes around and and, and sort of happens. Um, or it's also a bit like a smell, right? So like rather than uh, the world sort of, you know, if you do something bad and the world's going to smack you up because of it, it's more mm. like the proactivity idea that what you've done um, previously as sort of your habits imprints on this CD what's going to happen and the world sort of responds to what you've imprinted on that CD. So it's very close to normal habit books that we've seen and, and links karma in that sense. Mm. It was a very different, I think just the obvious Western karma view is what goes around comes around you do something good something good happens to you, you do something bad something bad happens to you very simplistic view this was like a much practical <laughs> yeah this is a very deep one and then karma the thing i remember it's always interesting going back like what actually do you remember from the book from the last six months the thing that i remember was the story that he had of the two people going to see the prostitute <laughs> and then they're walking to go see the prostitute and then at the same time they heard there was a church service on at the same time one person went to the church service because he said, I can't do this to my wife and my family. I can't go and see a prostitute. I should honor God. I should go to the church. But while he was sitting in that church service, he was really wishing that he'd gone and seen the prostitute. Alternatively, one guy went to see the prostitute. The physical act 
with the prostitute, but he was thinking, man, I wish I'd have gone to church instead. And <laughs> Sadhguru was saying, the guy, like you've got the physical karma, you've also got like the mental and emotional karma as well. So he's saying almost the person who went to church but wished he'd gone to see the prostitute, that's almost worse mm. than the person who went to the prostitute and wished they'd gone to church. Yeah, well, that's a whole different idea is the mental karma. Mm. I'm doing it a million times. You're almost better off obviously being released from both of them where you don't feel like you have to see the the prostitute necessarily whatsoever. Right? Yeah. But Probably that- the best case is going to church and enjoying church and then living a whole life of in That's that sort it. of, yeah. Yeah. But it's yeah. In, it was an interesting take. Interesting concept. Yeah. What's yours, 10 Ash show? Uh, number 10, the Peter Principle, the most recent, the last ep of this season, a little short one. And a little short, simple book, one, one concept, kind of written in a half. He tried to make it funny. It was a little bit funny, but it wasn't really that funny, almost like a little bit ironic funny. But just saying that the Peter Principle is that basically if you're good, you get a promotion and you get to another job, and if you're good, you get a promotion, and eventually you get to the point where you're not good anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you get promoted, and when you're not good anymore, you stop getting promoted, so that everybody gets promoted to the point where they're no longer good at their job. Mm. So basically, you just fill up with everybody's shit at their job. Yeah, it's a phenomenal <laughs> idea. I love, I love like the start of it, right? The idea that everyone's shit at their job, I don't necessarily believe, mm. but it explains, you know, when you ask yourself, why is someone so shit in that position... <laughs> It's because of the Peter Principle. So mm. it's not, I don't think it's fully reflective of every single job in society, but, yeah. but there are obviously some extremely incompetent people in high end jobs. But this explains that they're probably, yeah, they were good at the job previously. Mm. So they got the promotion. And now, probably where I disagree with the Peter Principle, if they were extremely, extremely, extremely shit, they'd probably get the boot. Mm. But incompetent is probably the word, right? Like, yeah, incompetent, yeah. yeah. If you're really, really shit, you probably do get the ass. If you're just like medium, or like a bit below, below medium, medium, you're yeah. probably not like quite... D graders, not, not, yeah. not F graders, but D or E graders. Yeah, you're not bad enough to get the ass, but you're definitely not good enough to even do your job, let alone move up. Yeah. But I think it, the main thing was like, every time you move up, the job changes a bit. Mm. Like he was talking about, you start off as a... He was a school teacher originally. So you start off as a student. If you're a good student, you become a teacher. If you're a good teacher, then you become a head of the department, which is different from a teacher. Like teacher, their job is to teach, head of the department. You've got to organize other teachers. You've got to organize budgets. It changes a fair bit. And then if you're really good at that, then you become a principal. Now you've got to manage community expectations. You've got to do all these different groups, all these different board meetings. Like the job changes every time you move up. And that's why people, if they're good at the lower level job, they move up, the job changes. That's why they're no longer good at the job. Mate, yeah, that came up in um book that's going to probably come up at some stage, Essays of Warren Buffett. Oh, yeah. But he talks about luckily why he doesn't trust CEOs managing capital mm. for that reason. It's because like investing because they got up from being engineers and doing yeah. other skills and then like why would we trust them with investing capital, right? So Makes it's, sense. There's like a lot of books, right? The best ones, they come up in multiple different ways pointing at the same sort of direction and that is is definitely one of them. Now, we'll get into my nine number next. Yeah. Uh, the five levels of leadership. Mm-hmm. John C. Maxwell. Yeah. It's a good one. You don't have a lot to say about it, do you? You know. <laughs> a- I really like the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership that we did. Yeah. And then this is, I think it's probably the, a lot like a lot of the books. It's like if I'd have read this one before the other one, I probably would have loved this. But because I read the other one first, I like that one better. Mm. Mate, I think it's a really really strong leadership book because you can sort of like mm. put yourself on where you are in this process and sort of uh, if you're fo- oh, we'll go through them so like level one's position so you get promoted you're in a position where you're managing different people that's it that's where a lot of people get to 
Yeah, um, people rely on the the job title. If you're the manager, so you're the leader only purely because you can say, "Hey, I'm your boss, so you do what I tell you." And probably not everyone gets to that, right? Like fifty percent. <laughs> yeah. But then the next one's permissions. Like you're at the boss, and people like you, so they go, "All right, we're gonna fucking go where you want to go." Mm. And that's probably a good chunk of everyone, mm-hmm. right? Not many people get to that point. I've, it's been rare for my personal managers to be at that point. Level three is production, mm. which is even rarer because that's where you actually get your team who like you from level two now to actually go on and be producing shit. You're getting shit done. <laughs> yeah, being effective. Right. <laughs> that's right. It's a big step up, a big difference. Yeah, because that's, as you know, rare. And level four, I think, is like... Uh, yeah, people development. So almost unheard of, isn't it? Almost unheard of. Or you're focusing as a leader and developing the people below you. They're getting better, and as they get better, you know, your results get better. And level five is the pinnacle. This is what he says, and this is where you're developing leaders. So you're a leader who develops other leaders. So in terms of the metaphor of spinning, uh, what's the thing? Spinning. <laughs> what are you spinning? Spinning. <laughs> spinning, spinning, <laughs> you just spinning plates. Let's oh, say yeah, you go, let's right. go. You're spinning a plate. You can spin maybe six plates by yourself. Yeah. And if you walk away to go get a coffee, the some plates are going to fall down. Yeah. But if you train other people to be able to spin plates, mm. that's level four. But if you can train other people who can train other people mm. to spin plates, Ooh, yeah. that's where you're level There's five. There's going to be a fucking lot of plates spinning. Mate, it's a, it's a <laughs> plate. Oh, it's going to be full of plates spinning. It's a plate arm again. And- <laughs> I actually, I feel like I want to re... If you gave me the choice, you can read the 21 laws or the five levels. I would rather the five levels because it mm. kind of gives you the framework of... Like, the 21 laws is just kind of a mix and match. Pick what you like, pick what you don't like. But the five levels is like you've got to go through these one through five. It's a... Yeah. I probably like that better in concept. I just oh, I read the other great. one first. After reading, I, in my company, I've kind of deliberately tried to skip a few. I'm probably not that liked. <laughs> I think you can. I think you can. I try to do people development. They, I try to do each other. I try to be, build a few people in there. Well, I tried to skip it. I don't know if it worked. I probably failed at all this. Anyway, I, just, I tried. To, I, tried, I started to try and train people, thinking I'm. I'm a big Maxwell level four dude, but anyway, <laughs> my own tires. Did it work or not? No, nah, it all fell flat. <laughs> What's your number oh nine? Oh my goodness. My number nine, I had to get a Gladwell in there, the tipping point. I'd say when I read it, it was probably one of the least favorite Gladwell books we've done, probably because it's also the most well-known Gladwell books. So there's a lot of Socko effect, a lot of everybody likes it, so I kind of don't want to like it. But I think the core is good. Like why do messages spread and he broke down the three different elements. You've got the messenger, the message and the context. And that messenger is really important. Like who's actually spreading this message? There's, uh, you know, if, if Johnny from the street is telling you to do something, you're probably not going to do it. But if someone else who's high power, I don't know, who's who's not John, who's the opposite of Johnny from the street? Craig. Susie from the, high, the penthouse apartment, if she's telling you, then you're probably listening. So I think that was a, that was an important one. And he had the, context of the HIV epidemic in the 1980s and he was talking about the gonorrhea epidemics and how they spread and how like you know six percent like of the geographical area accounted for half of the infections and like then he broke it down even further that that 25 percent of the cases came from six individual bars of people intermingling and spreading diseases and stuff so just that if you can find that really core few that are going to infect a lot of people obviously not with gonorrhea or hiv but with your idea then that's what you want yeah 
I think it's a very profound book pre-social media, which mm. is when he wrote it, right? Yeah. This after, is like in the 90s he wrote it, yeah? Yeah, which is insane. But after social media, became, it's so obvious. Like when you're mm. reading it, like, oh, he's talking about influences here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, not, it's not profound, but before that, it wasn't so obvious, right? Mm. And, that, and the whole world is run oh, a good part by that first thing you said, which is the messenger. Mm. And then also then the message, like making the message stick and the difference between an important message that everybody should know about that nobody knows about compared to, you know, a good message that's really well crafted. It's got all those elements that make it stick. Um, And he was talking about how even like shows like Sesame Street and Blue's Clues, how they were like, it seems like a really simple, basic kids show, but they worked so hard. They worked relentlessly to really drill down to put in very specific elements that made those ideas stick and made those ideas spread. Mate, my number eight is uh, No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings and Aaron Myers. Great duo who put this book together. You're Reed who started Netflix and then also Aaron who comes from a, uh, INSEAD, which is one of the best business schools in the world. So um, I think it was a good dynamic they had in, in writing the book. But I love the three elements they came up with. Mm. It's always quite arbitrary when someone takes all their life experience and puts it into three things, mm. buckets, but it's pretty much the only way you can take three memorable things of, out of all their experience. So they got to do something like that. I even like the structure of the book, which we didn't do in our episode, but they did in the book, how there was the three elements and they kind of spiraled around three times to get deeper and deeper within those three elements. We kind of restructured it to make more sense in our episode to just be the three elements. But yeah, I, like, I, re- I did really like the structure of this book. Yes, I really loved it also. So number one is like getting to the talent density. So they really explained very well why you don't want duds on your team. Yeah. You don't want D graders. You don't want even B graders. You want everyone A graders. Yeah. And if you want, if you got a team of A graders and you're paying them say five times the amount of salary as you would otherwise, you're going to be much more productive as a team. Yeah. They said just those, all those interactions between the top of the top of the top is just very different. If you've got the top and then you've got a couple of, you know, they're pretty good. It's very different, which is which was an interesting take. Just like you, the interactions, the things that they bounce off each other, the different ideas that can be generated, the productivity, the amount of work they can do, the quality of work they can do is just is very different from everyone who's really really good compared to superstars. Yeah, and it totally makes intuitive sense. I think from your own anecdotal experience, when you got people operating at a high level in the same room, what you can get done compared to if it was the other way around. Like I do there, Ash is, is that what you? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you think, you know, Miami Heat, you got you, got, you had Chris Bosh, you had Dwayne Wade, you had LeBron James. Like, you got these all these A plus 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 graders. Like, yeah, maybe they took a little bit of time to work out the flow and work out who's the top dog and work out how they can work together. But once they started working together, that talent density really took off. That's it, mate. What's your one? Number eight. Number eight. Oh, do the work, Stephen Pressfield. Uh, obviously, the War of Art. Uh, phenomenal turning pro phenomenal uh and then this was kind of like the next addition to that do the work uh got to interview him which was probably one of my you know one of the guys that at the on the list of dream guests would be very high up that we've been kind of chasing for a little while um and this was like much more of a the war of art turning pro though kind of more of a like a philosophical or theoretical approach the do the work was more the get down and dirty here's exactly how you do it step by step type of book yeah and i think you're one of my highlights was just probably his story because he mm. practiced what he preaches. He was a a failure, uh, even in his own words, until he was like forty. He was, I think, even, even later, later, right? Like he was having a crack at stuff the whole time, sort of 
following what his dream was. Um, and so many people would give up and say, fuck it. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to do the thing you're meant to do. Yeah. Um, and I'm just so happy that he did what he did and he landed his first book, which was War of Art, which absolutely killed it, obviously. And now he's one of the most famous authors of all time. But it is so closely related to what he preaches mm. and he got there that way. Yeah, it's interesting to... I don't know. Imagine... So, he, I think, he, you know, he was like in his mid to late 50s when that the first thing finally clicked. I could imagine looking at a bloke in their early 50s Still trying, still trying, still a lot of failing and looking down judging. on that person. Yeah, hanging really shit looking on down him, that judging person. on him, man. But then that, the difference between like it, it finally worked and it finally clicked and then, you know, for the next two decades he's been killing it, you know, internationally renowned books and movies and everything. It's a, That's what gets me tough, excited. It'd be like, tough to keep going. Imagine that, that finger you stick up, like how uh, good that would that feel? To, mm. And it's two decades, that mm. finger, people looking down on you probably since... Two or yeah. three decades, right? Mid twenties, maybe. Yeah. Um, and just saying, fuck it'd be you. Tough. I think it'd be tough me, to keep little... going at that if it wasn't working. It to would keep be. going for decades and decades and decades. Yeah. I mean, he was he was saying he was you know living living in like place with no plumbing and he was just sitting with a typewriter and it, the, there was a cat that would come over and would mm. have a higher status in the pecking order than he would. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. well, that's like where he. Because in his writing, when he says the war of art, for him it's like he's actually struggling and fighting something and there's almost pain in the way he writes, which I think is probably what he went through for those decades and it comes out in his writing and that's why we can take so much from it. And the the one thing that he kind of talks about in the book, he, he talks about start before you're ready. As in a lot of people are saying, I'm getting ready, I'm planning, I'm working, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing, I'm working it out and never really start. He's saying you've got to start before you're ready. And then he says... Once you've done that thing, then you've got to start the next thing. You've got to start again before you're ready. This is probably where we're at now. I, I agree. Like, I feel like, you know, we've done the, we did the big book. It took us 18 months or 16 months to get that big 684 page, the shit they never taught you, up and out. We're probably at the point where it's like, okay, 100% I'm, probably not, I'm not ready for the next uh, thing, but maybe we should start before we're ready. Maybe we should start tonight. What? <laughs> maybe not tonight. After, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe not tonight. Well, what's, what's the next thing? I don't even know what it is. We'll figure it out. Maybe by the end of this episode, we'll have, have a grand idea and inspiration will hit us. <laughs> no, but I, I totally agree with you. That, that's what he said. He said he had, you know, he'd been working on this. He said it's 17 years he'd been trying to write a novel and he finally got to the point, even after multiple times where he got to 99.9% of the way through a novel and then he just like, hit delete or shredded his papers or burnt them or whatever he did and would literally blow up the novel and he finally got to the point where he said okay i'm done and he wanted to celebrate he went to his mate's place and his mate was like cool good stuff okay time to start the next one <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of that's that's probably the point we're at now we'll do it we'll do it okay now my number seven painful bloody throwing this one at number seven seven man. this Dance is low for meaning <laughs> this should be number one by the way yeah, <laughs> but it's not. and even for me, it, it probably should well, be. I think we my, both. Probably I probably gave it a ten out of ten. You probably gave it an eight out of ten or something. Yeah. Like when you read it, you put it like that. But then when you go to rank it against other mm. books, it somehow ends up being different. So I don't know how the hell this is number seven. Man's Search for Meaning. It is one of the best books you'll ever read. It's and one I, of those books everyone has to read. We we'll both agree mm, on that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And it's probably, you know, whenever we interview these superstar authors who we've been able to interview over the five and a half years of the podcast, whenever we ask, you know, what's what are your favorite books, what are your most influential books, this would probably be the one that gets the most mentions as well, yeah? Man's yeah. Search for Meaning. 
Well, I think meaning is something that is better than happiness. I prefer meaning this this sort of shit than happiness equation. Mm-hmm. Ha- get going out and get happy because I don't know meaning has got this better feeling than just being this lovey go happy happy <laughs> happy go lucky happy. I think happy. meaning could lead to happiness. Well, no, I think it's ah, I it's disagree. Okay. I disagree. It's totally different. But he says like meaning can come through love, which isn't happiness. Mm. It come through suffering. That's true. When you're doing hard yeah. shit, especially at the end of it, you're like, all right, that was meaningful. Mm. None of that was happiness. It but didn't it feel meaning. good, did it? Yeah, no. suffering through it. Or work, which is a similar sort of thing. It's like mm. if you're working hard at something, launching a book, mate, our book wasn't happy. No. At all. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's like even after it wasn't happy is probably not the right. <laughs> no, that's a, that's it was a, meaning. That's fucking deep. How come this isn't number one? <laughs> No, no, I think you're right. And obviously, for us, we're just talking about fucking writing a book, sitting in our nice air-conditioned and we had the heater going, we had we had a nice comfy chair to sit on, we had access to electricity and internet. All we had to do was wake up a little bit early and type on the laptop. It wasn't that hard. We're compared, talking, to him. compared to him, he's waking up in frostbitten, to- people literally tweezering off their toes because they'd literally died from the cold, uh, talking about eating, you know, six breadcrumbs a day and having to ration that out over the course of a whole day. Uh, talking about a whole bunch of very deep, dark shit that we'll hopefully, thankfully, never have to experience. But I think hearing that, like say the premise is true that meaning's more important than happiness. And after reading that book, it's like no matter what you go through, you can find something. Yeah. No matter how bad things are, you can always find something, which is as more profound as you could ever get. I yeah. I think he was. he talks about in the book how the people... Plenty of people didn't make it through the Holocaust and through the concentration camps and because they didn't have meaning. He was saying the ones that did make it through wasn't because they were just hopeful that things were going to turn out rosy. It was just because they found a reason to stick around. Mm. Um, they found that meaning. So that's both our number ones. Let's go to our next one. Both our number ones. <laughs> <laughs> we're done. Let's end the episode there. <laughs> so that was your number seven. My number seven. First time we've had crossover. My number seven is coming later in your list and... Your number six is coming later in my list. So, my number six, The Upside of Irrationality, Dan Ariely. Yeah. We love Dan Ariely. We've got uh, fond, very fond moments of him. It'd probably be the best story we've got, I reckon, out of the podcast. Mm. The Dan Ariely at his hotel room, having a, going to the ballet, getting a kebab, having a cheap red that we yeah. thought was a nice expensive red <laughs> that he time, thought was right? a cheap Jesus. red. <laughs> it was probably like, yeah, 15 bucks far out. We're really big spenders here. <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't look down on us whatsoever. So we loved Dan. But yeah, I think almost better than his other book, Predictably Irrational. Um, if anyone's interested in behavioral, psych, behavioral economics, there's no one better to go to really than Dan Ariely in that sense, is there? In terms of books, I feel like his... There's plenty of books that are like from the academic person trying to cross over into the popular realm that are like the, hey, we did this study and these are the findings and this is the outcome and this is how you can apply it to your life. There's plenty of boring, shitty books like that. I feel like he's one of the rare few who's been able to make it an engaging book. But yeah, he talks about the studies he's done, but it, you really enjoy reading it. Yeah, absolutely. One of my highlights was the Ikea effect. Explains so much, so much shit. Whether it's <laughs> me and you doing our podcast, and yeah. <laughs> one of us does the notes. Um, oh, be- <laughs> I'll tell you what. Like, if you look at these top tens, 
How many of your top tens were the books that you chose and how many of my top tens were the, the books that I chose? I reckon they'd be pretty close to 100%. 100% close. <laughs> and it's probably also related to when we previously went, now we do more exclusive notes. One person does the notes, one does the other. I think that is also correlated to how exclusive was the note writing to the note loving, mm. to the episode loving as well. Because Definitely. the Ikea effect is like Definitely. if someone, one of us constructs the whole bookcase um, and then the other person comes up and says, oh, <laughs> the person who did the bookcase, well, that's a phenomenal bookcase. But if, right. if I do half the bookcase and you come and help for the other half, mm. it's a different measurement, isn't it? That's right. That's right. I wonder how we can counteract the IKEA effect. Or do we just say, okay, let's just go with it. Maybe that's just how it well, is. I think we probably recognize and say and try and like yeah. just mentally counter it. Yeah, that's right. It's a phenomenal concept and phenomenal not because it's good, but phenomenal just because it's fucking mind-blowing. Just how much we overrate our own ideas compared to other people's ideas. Like obviously the the IKEA effect comes from the idea that if if you paint a painting or if the study was you make an origami frog, objectively your origami frog is probably the same as another amateur's origami frog, and it's both of yours is shitter than a professional's origami frog. But the study found that you'd rather make you'd rather keep the one that you made, even though it looks shitter than the professional origami frog. And that's just like a, obviously a very uh, cheap and simple example, but it goes to all kinds of things. If it's a, the dinner that you cook yourself compared to that you heat up in the microwave or the, the bookshelf that you put together using the planks of wood compared to the bookshelf that you buy ready-made, like well, all those things. You drop in a meeting or something. The, and that's probably the more important than the physical things you make is that, like the ideas that you have. If there's six people around the table coming up with ideas and you come up with an idea, it sounds like the best idea ever. Somebody's idea is probably better than yours. <laughs> but there's six, you of them. There's six ideas dropping there. You probably It's very hard to just say, all right, my idea is ranking maybe second even, yeah. second or third out of the six. Yeah, so I think that was a, that was a, a powerful eye-opener. I feel like me personally, I've even more than the average bias of how good my own shit is compared to everybody else's shit so that was a good it was a good book to read that's why it's ranking on my list because it'd be very true if your iq is 130 or one foot what is it 150 more than that 150 or something (laughs) very high 30 very high and you see all these plebs with iqs of 100 coming up with ideas it'd be very hard for you to say that idea by probability is stronger than my iq 150 idea is that true? Well, that'd be hard. Well, exactly. But that's how Good much reason of, to an extent. How much, how much of that is like, yeah, it's better, but I think more is the IKEA effect. More is just I think it's better because I came up with it. But it'd be harder for you to overcome the IKEA exactly, effect. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I was totally like, man, this is a fucking this is a powerful book. I really gotta keep that in check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised to see number well, sorry, I'm I'm overstepping here. So that was That was my number six. Number five for me is coming, coming later. later. We're getting into our top fives now. And my number five is Humor Seriously by Jennifer Aker and Naomi Bagdonis. Yeah, well, this changed my perception of humor probably in the workplace. Mm. And it sort of probably just makes you recognize that people who can have a sense of humor drop gags, even mm. if they're weak, even if mm. they fall flat and they laugh afterwards. It's a signal of status, isn't Definitely. it? Definitely. Everybody loves laughing. Everybody loves funny things, you know, funny shows, funny movies, listening to funny podcasts, going to watch funny things happen. 
that's in the personal life though. We think in the workplace, work that's serious, no jokes, no funny. It's got to be all serious all the time. That's not true at all though, because actually the the people who can take the risk, make the shit joke, get a sympathy laugh, are actually the people who are probably at the top of the chain. Like, yeah, the graduates coming in, they're probably not making the gags. No, they're, they're the ones laughing. <laughs> That's, they're the ones giving the shit sympathy laughs to the yeah. really weak dad jokes mm. and showing how low well, status even they are. Gra- <laughs> even as a grad, you came in and you, you had a sense of humor, you cracked a weak gag, and then you laughed at yourself or something. So you got a bit that's, of a sense yeah, that's of humor. A good one. That's a good one, laughing um, at yourself. You'd be a higher status. I that's remember. right. And so it was, it was all about that, hey, everybody loves jokes or like, and, and not even jokes, not like, you know, the 60 minute stand up routine. It's even just a little bit of lightness. It doesn't have to be all serious all the time. Just a little gag here or there, a little bit of lightness, just lifting the mood for everybody is going to be better for, you know, for the whole workplace. Yeah. So it was a good book, man. My number, uh, my number four we're getting into now, mm. deep into the top five almost. Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinker. I'll let you hang shit on the book in a second because you hated it. Yeah, keep, it's not in my top 10, that's for sure. But I thought this book was all about, really about perspective, about where we are right now because it's very hard to, if you just rock up on the planet, you're born and it is what it is. Your worst case of suffering to your biggest case of happiness, that's the range you live in. That's it. Compared to, if you get some sort of perspective about where you are relative to the rest of history, um, your sort of band of that goes down to where you're suffering can sort of imagine what it used to be like because we have never lived in a better time than now in, in many ways. There are some ways where mm. you could tr- try and argue the opposite, but I think this sort of tears that all down and pulls the pants down to that. Because think about it, like we've done so much cool shit over the ages, mm. rock after the supermarket, buy whatever the hell you want. There was a time in history where you were hungry. You'd Definitely. have to hunt for your food. Yeah, that's it. You do a poo in the corner by the tree. <laughs> now you just a, click a button and it vanishes. It disappears. Vanishes. There's a lot of people who solve the problems of pipes, metal engineering, digging, geology, all that sort of shit to make that just vanish. Same with the supermarket. <laughs> same with everything. And you just rock up now into the 21st century, you sort of take it for granted. Yeah. Oh, mate, definitely. Ivan was driving recently. Do you know in the back of... Obviously, where we live, like the back of Carum, Carum Downs, is the the Eastern Treatment Plant. You know, the, the poo farm. That, st- that stinks, yeah. <laughs> but, but so we were driving past and I said to Alison, I went on like a year four excursion to the poo farm and like we went there for a day and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is the treatment plant. This is where all the shit goes. This is a pretty bad excursion. And, she, <laughs> anyway, and she's like, what do you mean? I was like, well... When you flush the toilet, that's where it goes. She's like, oh, what? Where? <laughs> she didn't even know. <laughs> she didn't even know there was a place where all the shit from everybody's house I knew that all was goes a place, into no, the I didn't even It didn't even click in my brain that that's where it goes. Yeah. All the shit from our area, you know, for a 10-kilometer radius, all goes through the pipes into that one place. And then they look after it. They, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they do with it, they but they do something with it. Yeah. But like she didn't even know. She's like, oh, you just... Flush a button and it, and it goes away, which I think is a good a good uh, representation of what you're saying. Like we've got it so good, we don't even know how good we've got it. That's it, man. It's a big deal. We're demolishing painful infections. I mean, we've got what we've got now, but it's not like it used to be. We've got planes that literally take you to the other side of the world. Didn't used to be like that. You got cheap energy to just to pop the lights on at yeah, seven p.m. to read the book. Yeah. Um. You got the world's knowledge in your pocket, not through. Uh, 
Google, but through the What You Learn podcast. That's right. Get on iTunes and get the whole world's knowledge. Full stop. And give it five stars while you're there. That's it. We're due for a few five stars. I think our most recent one was a one-er. Oh, really? Did you see that? No, I didn't see it. It said yet. one star, the head title. Yeah. Best podcast I've heard. <laughs> what? Hey, what, okay, what's the explanation of this? But. but so that was okay. the head title. And then it said best, but. One star, best podcast I've heard. Yeah. I remember we were telling you about um, ACAST, who've been phenomenal uh, oh. supporters of our podcast. But it said, uh, I didn't see the, uh, what was it? The um, Exxon Mobil. Exxon Mobil. We got Exxon Mobil ads in We didn't US. even know they were there. We, we didn't, didn't know, know they were there. We didn't. It wasn't us talking. It was someone had put that ad on our podcast that we didn't even know about. Yeah. And it, yeah. Hopefully, they're listening now. We can reverse that one. Apologies. Up. We didn't know about that one. Okay. Um, but yeah, I won't hang shit on the book because it is a good book. I just found... I didn't... The book itself, I was a little bit... I don't know. It just didn't grab me. I was a little bit bored. I kind of heard it before. I really liked listening to Pinker on other podcasts. I probably heard a lot of that stuff. And I even listened to another one recently and it was a great app, great content it was yeah. a thick I book just gave, i gave it a low rating just because i yeah struggled to get through it no, it's totally good. it doesn't grab you the writing mm. the biggest case of that or a similar but worse of what you're saying i think is um bill gates which wasn't mm. even honorable mention similar boat like profound mm. shit important shit as well yeah yeah uh, how to avoid a climate crisis covers climate change as good as you could possibly can mm. quite irrefutable the way he does it but the way he writes it just doesn't pull you in and just something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's just quite a disconnected. It didn't. It didn't make either of our top tens, and didn't even make our honourable mentions, which is which is saying a lot as well. The other thing with the old uh, Enlightenment. Now we, when we were on Steve Glaveski's podcast, Future Squared, we were talking about how sometimes books we very much differ. I think maybe you gave it an eight or a nine. I gave it like a three. And then I just basically all I was saying there was I want to plug that I did a song for Steve <laughs> after, after Steve came on our podcast twelve months ago and did a song and then we went on his and, and did that a song. That song was phenomenal, man. <laughs> I did. St- I kind of. Stole I don't know if it. anyone's listened. Um, I don't think we're, only when you play with Kevin Rudd, but you are you can play piano like unbelievably. I think it's insane. I think I'm at the point of piano where I I can play enough to impress people. If I was like impress the person who doesn't play piano, I don't think I would impress anybody who, who can really piano. play piano. Would not be impressed. Yeah, but people who can't okay. play piano would be like, oh man. You're well, I wouldn't know the difference between you and probably the exactly. Top, That's top probably where one I'm at. percentile in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to tell the difference. I probably, I probably am in the top two top. Sorry, one percentile of players. I was. Oh yeah, exactly. I reckon I'm in the top one percent of general population at playing piano. Yeah. Maybe even higher than that. But then. In terms of people who well actually play that. piano, yeah, wouldn't be close. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like no, I've been the bottom one percent almost. <laughs> Just claiming, man, you got me fooled. Mate, what was that? That was your number four. Yeah, my number four, the Medici effect. Looking back at this, probably probably a little bit high on the list, but Franz Johansson, we interviewed him probably one of the in the season one or early season two. We interviewed him about the, his other book, The Click Moment. I just when I first read this book, I was like, damn, this guy fucking knows how to write a book. I was like the opposite of enlightenment now that we just spoke about how it was like a good content but a bit of a trudge to get through, whereas this was like average content but really delivered well. So I really fell for the Harry Potter effect on this one. Yeah. Well, I think it's a phenomenal book also. Like it probably would be in my top 10 if you didn't – because I know you are going to drop it in there. I didn't have it in my top 10. <laughs> There's a bit of game theory in our top 10s. There's so much. There? I think that's why we've diverted so much. I'm trying to explain it. But – uh. 
like we wrote in our book, there's two different ways to approach your career. One is like you go super, super niche. The other one is you sort of combine a different set of skills where you become niche in a very different way that you got, you're the only one with X, Y, and Z skills that nobody else has. I think this is like the best articulation of that Mm. um, where it's the intersections that matter. You don't want to just, in your own Venn diagram, if you're just super, super deep in just this one circle, Mm. you better off having like seven different circles Mm. that uh, combine in a meaningful way. You don't want arbitrary... Well, maybe you do because the like, water skiing the, plus piano playing. <laughs> well, maybe plus. the story used to set up the book was like the uh, like architecture mixed with an interest in fucking the mating of sense. termites yeah, or that something. That makes sense, I think. Do you reckon? <laughs> well, the termites built a structure, yeah. right? And that's what they pulled from. But it's you're pulling it from a, a very a weird. Stretch. I disagree. Now, I think it's, <laughs> I think it's different to golf and piano. Golf and piano. Or water skiing and nah, piano. See, I, I reckon you can link golf and piano. And the reason, and it's probably coming up later, but the inner game of okay. tennis, the okay. bloke who... Yeah, it's you. funny how the, he's literally done the inner game of tennis, the inner game of golf, the inner game <laughs> of music and the inner game of skiing. So literally all, golf and music and golf and piano and skiing and piano, <laughs> maybe they're not as far apart as you think. Yeah, I get it. That's good. <laughs> now, it's a good book though. It really is. If you haven't come here, there's like... We've read that many bloody books mm. now. There's a category of book that you have to read in your top 20. Mm. And this is probably in one, in one of those categories, I reckon. I'd agree. It's probably one of those ones that when you, if you read it early in the journey, it would be an absolute mind blower. Later in the journey, so-so. Yeah. That's all I'm happy to, always happy to have something like that in here. It was, and what really what the, uh, I guess the, what he was saying was, was all about breaking down the barriers, breaking down that, if you're in, if you've got one field and one field only and you go really deep in that, then your brain just goes down the normal paths that everybody else goes down. If you want to truly innovate and make a step change and make a, a wild innovation that the world has never seen, you've got to step outside of just the standard ways of thinking. Like everybody thinks tandoori chicken, like what did I say, bacon and uh, cheese, <laughs> eggs. No, I actually had uh, I had bacon and halloumi this morning. Oh, jeez. Yeah, okay, well there you go. You're outside of what I was. I was just expecting eggs. What about rum and coke? Yeah, salt and veer. vinegar. Vinegar. <laughs> oh, you, mate, you're freight. You're, you're seating me with the first. Thing. That was a <laughs> that was a Bo Burnham uh, stand up routine that he did. That was a. <laughs> You saw where I was going, yeah. No, I didn't get, I didn't get the joke. <laughs> you don't get the, No, neither. No. But anyway, <laughs> that was just... I just want to slip that in there. Just steal Bo Burnham's material. <laughs> Let's move Mate, on. There's been, there's been three gags track. today where people have dropped <laughs> and I just didn't get it at all. And I was laughing at the start and then I'm like... I came clean, I'm like, I just don't get it. <laughs> Mate, maybe you need to reread humor seriously because sometimes just you just got to laugh along and just give a sympathy laugh. Now, everyone else got it though, except for me. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm, I'm smart in some ways. In, in, in some niche ways, I'm like as dumb as they get, which I'm happy with. Mate, you see on the notes where, this, where the gag was going. I was setting you up to... Oh. <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Have, have you got it yet? Have you got what I'm, what I'm saying? Yeah. Don't on, worry. It's, not that, it's, it's probably not really 2021 appropriate anyway. Number three. For me, <laughs> maybe next drink you can tell me what it is after. after yeah. um, number three, another horrible one for you if you hate it. But uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance by Robert, someone, Robert Peetzig or something. Yeah, Persig. There you go. Persig. I wouldn't have got that unless you prompted me. Uh, 
Mate, I, as reading it, like you, I think we've been the same, but like, what the fuck are we reading right now? <laughs> I had no idea what the hell was What are we reading on? right now? And by the end of it, so midway through it, I'm like, Ash, show, we're not doing this as an episode. Mm, mm. No one knows what's going on. Oh, man, I was- You yeah. finish, you're like, Jones, let's just give up on this one. Nothing's oh, yeah. happening. I was done. But I think it was, um, we highlighted some random shit as we did the book. Mm. Then I read, like, I probably spent three or four hours mm. looking at blog posts, looking at different videos of- on YouTube of people's interpretations. Mm. And then I went back to my highlights and I'm like, Jesus, this is... <laughs> the best book I've ever read. <laughs> it's like the author didn't give a shit that yeah. you weren't following, but deep beneath it, there was some most profound things. And sometimes I think there's a lot of like uh, probably fiction in general, which ne- mm. neither of us really got into. But if you have to work for what you're trying to learn, your brain is like painfully trying to grasp it. And mm. when it does grasp it, it sticks much better than it would otherwise, I think. And for me, that's what it was like with this book. What's like the Dan Ariely? It's not really Ikea effect. Uh, maybe it's a little bit because we kind of like made our own interpretation or put our own spin on it. It's like almost like the, it's kind of like the endowment effect. Like we had to work so hard to try to understand it that it was I think like, that's it, man. That, that like we work so hard that it's like, wow, this is really profound once you get there. Well, I think it's that plus like, you cur- I think curiosity's got a lot to do with it. Mm. Like if you get to a point where like you're that endowment effect, you work so hard for it. Plus your curiosity is like at a peak where you're like, what the fuck is what the this about? Is going on here, you're yeah. trying to figure it out. You're on Google blo- blogging stuff, you're YouTubing stuff. And because of that, it might stick a bit better or you'll, mm. or the thing is that hard to grasp in everyday language that it, if someone just says it in passing, they actually need to work for it to actually get it. I don't know. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? Nah, that's a, that's. If I tried to phaedrus knife to break that down, it, I'd lose something in whilst I was cutting it. Well, well, I think yeah. Well, that's it. I think the phaedrus knife where you got the um, classic and romantic in the world. Mm. I think we've both probably had these periods, especially like I, I remember clearly a phase in my life where. You'd apply rationality to everything. Like, why is that person kicking a football and just tackling and hugging each other and mm. kicking it through sticks? Or, You'd say, what a waste of time. Or look at that art. Like, why? It's like everything's just rationality. But when you apply the Phaedrus knife of rationality, um, you're dividing in the world into this structure. When you like tap the world, it actually reduces everything. So you are re- rationality does stuff, but it reduces everything, and you actually make things uh, uh, easy to understand but at the same time in doing so less true about what it actually is and like probably less beautiful and romantic. I think you lost me. <laughs> I need to go back and re-listen to that episode we did but um, yeah. I was I, trying to I, sell you on it's it almost, as I was saying that. I was looking at you I was like trying to sell it. But it's almost like it's almost like one of those things like yeah, you just you're not romantic enough. You've just Phaedrus knifed it. You don't get it and it's almost like pretending like you get it you probably don't really get it, but if the other person doesn't get it, you can just say it, it's a Phaedrus knife. You don't get it. Well, not getting it is... <laughs> yeah. Well, I was about to say not getting it is the point, which is what you were sort of <laughs> exactly. having a go at, right? It's almost like, oh, no, you're not you're not smart enough to get this. If you were smarter, you'd get it. It's almost like the reverse of that. It's like it's just well, it's just too abstract for you to try to... Un- if you try to understand it, you can't understand it. And if Correct. you don't understand it, then you understand it. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck Well, I think that's about? true. I think that's true. <laughs> I think there's a category of things that pure rationality and pure mm. understanding is paradoxically not getting it. Mm. 
Yeah. Don't let me explain that further. Because <laughs> I don't. Mate, I've got a question. Is this really your number three? This is your number three book from the last twenty-five books that we've done, or whatever it is. It's probably number five now. <laughs> Would be more than number five. How is, this, how is this above noise that didn't even make either of our top tens? Or man's search for meaning. Exactly. <laughs> man's search for meaning is above this one. Um, but it no, I, I, really, show, I really do. I, I if really you, do if you put the rational view, if you tried to use a Phaedrus knife to cut down our top ten rankings, something would be lost. And that's why this is so high on the rankings mm. because it blends both the classic and the romantic. <laughs> Deep shit. <laughs> we'll go to the next one. But I think it's a, I think it's a good book. I, I really do. Mm. I, I think it's like talking about the high ro- like the high ground and mm. to rationality. It's so weird. The book. It's but profound. I don't know. Mm. There's something about it. There's something. There's definitely maybe something I, maybe about I've it. just been um, lured into the some sort of effect we haven't spoken <laughs> about where it's like. I don't know what it is, but maybe I'm, I'm. It's probably some effect where you you want to be in. You want to be in on the joke. Something you want like to be that, in maybe. on the the everybody who know in that inner circle who knows what the yeah. fuck Zen yeah. and the a lot of motorcycle inner circle effect means. Or something you want to be like on. you're. I'm in. I know what it means. I get it. You don't know what it means. You're not in. And oh, you don't like the book. Oh, you just well, don't get it. You don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a cult like or, or ideological, right? Like, it really is. If yeah. you don't, if you yeah. don't like it, you don't get it. Don't worry. You're, you never and get then it. Like, not in. You can't get. You can't then join. You never this group. let the person scrutiny <laughs> come in because you're just branding them as they don't get it. Maybe that's the the fortress I've built. And any insults of the book, I'm not dropping. Anyway, oh, too there's good. A bit of that going on. That was your number three. I need. We need to get to my number three, but we need to also refill these glasses. And uh, also, it's been it's time for our next piss. And we're not pissing outside this time. This is an inside piss. Yeah, correct. Just off the balcony. <laughs> Back in. Back on, mate. We haven't done a proper ching yet. Yeah, we did the can. That was a bit shit. Hey, let's go closer to the mic. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> just the cups. Just aren't. Weak cups. They're not glass, I don't think. Are they glass? I don't know. Yeah, they have to be glass, yeah. Got a bit of a glass thing going about it. They're two different ones, I reckon. Number three? <sighs> My you. number three. Derek Sivers, Your Music and People. Um... I'll hang high up. this book in a bit. Yeah. That's right. you, you. yeah. It's pretty high up on my list actually, but what I really liked about it, obviously we mentioned music, so I've, I, it was kind of like the the metaphors, he blended music with business. Like the if you want to be a musician, how do you be, turn your that into a business? So I kind of like, I like business, I like music, so I kind of liked all the metaphors that he used. What I really liked was like the, we've read a lot of like really hoity-toity theoretical high high you know intellectual sort of marketing books mm. this was like the fucking down on the ground you're just one one person who doesn't really have a business doesn't really have a name you want to get started you want to get your name you want to spread whatever you're doing like this was through the music the the idea of you're a musician or you want to sell your cds or you want to sell yourself as playing gigs and sell tickets and stuff i like just the boots on the ground grassroots marketing aspect compared to you know there's there's Great marketing books you've read that theory makes sense. This is more just like you're, you're one person on the ground. How do you actually market yourself? Mm. Didn't sell me on the book there, Astro. But I agree. It's, <laughs> it's not hoity-toity. It's boots on the ground. But it's boots on the ground blog posts. I've got it, man. I've, got, I've been holding this one. Anyway, we'll come back to this later. But yeah. Come back to it. Please give your full 
give your full dig on, nah. on the blog post element of the book. Please give it because oh, it might no. come back to bite you in about 15 minutes. Please. <laughs> That's fine. Now, it's more around um, like it's very rare for us to do the book, read the book, do the notes, review the notes, do the episode and our whole process and actually remember it nothing about it almost mm. i remember some vague thing about the book mm. very rare these days nothing nothing grabbed me mm. afterwards now looking back on it and be like oh that's what I, i've actually got nothing interesting so that's okay. probably my um critique of it because usually the book says something right like mm. his other books i actually liked both of them Actually, sorry. It was the first one we ever did, Anything You Want, was the like first that. ever In the episode. second one, I said I didn't like it, but I remember there was like two or three good metaphors mm. that we've used a lot, like the horse and the, the in-between water and the yeah. desert or whatever. A couple of those sort of things, yeah. like land on you. But this one, zero. <laughs> zero. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, you're going to okay. come back on me later. Nah, so that's that, fine. <laughs> that wasn't. I wanted you to build something else up, which it, it didn't work. Oh damn it! <laughs> so you haven't. I can't get you back. Is that quite uh, tell me reasonable? About, what I said? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Unless you pretend I hung shit on tell your me blog about, post stuff. Tell me about the blog post stuff and why, like the book of of a mix of blog posts, unleash on that. Like, because Derek Sivers writes blog posts. This was kind of like the best of blog posts in regards to music <laughs> and marketing. Give me I, that. I can tell you're going to try and set me up with something. I'll try and play along. <laughs> Um, it might pay off in tw- Actually, in I don't have minutes. that big a deal against it as long as I'm learning something. <laughs> hang shit on it. So I can, no, no. So I can hang shit Long back on you like uh, Okay, let's just pretend I did that. Mm. But yeah, my idea of a good book, it's, it's like if I learn something from it, like and double bonus points if I change something from it, better. Mm. Even if I learn something profound, like, oh, fuck, I never thought about it that way. Mm. That's that's it for me. That's mm. done. I got to I got to think differently after reading a book and putting the effort and the investment into it. Okay, what about like the the one? There's plenty that stick out for me for this one. What about the difference between the starting line and the finishing line? What do you set me up? <laughs> no, I'm not setting. I was trying to remember if you. you I was mean? trying to remember if you remembered it or not. I don't remember. He was talking about like a lot of musicians view like okay, they make their CD, they make their album, they write their song, whatever they they view that. As the finish Correct. line, Sorry, they like get it. That. They like get that. it done, and they're like, "Okay, I've, I finished my album. I'm done. That's yeah. it." Some people though see that the finishing point as the starting line. They're like, "Okay, I've, I've written the album. Now I need to sell this motherfucker. Now I need to spread the word. Now I need to get people to listen to this." Yep. No, that's phenomenal. <laughs> Actually, is I, I do remember that now. <laughs> I think it was very much like us. Yeah, we could have easily gone like, "Okay, 16 months. We've written the book. Game over. Yeah. Done. That's it. The finish line. The book's out. Buy it if you want to buy it." Mm. Or we could view it as like, okay, this is a starting point. Here's the product. Now it's our job is to work really hard to spread this out to people. I do really like that one. <laughs> okay, good. And I haven't I heard that before. I really yeah. like that one. Yeah. <laughs> could have been, like you might be guilty of this as well, could have been peak IKEA effectiveness. Yeah. Where Asher bought in this book that's not an Adam Jones book. Definitely. Um, it's not in that category. And because of that, mm. I didn't give the book the time and I probably didn't because like you got we've probably both got to the point now where when you start reading books, you read read a page. All pages are the same. Mm-hmm. But when you get to, when you've read over 300, you've got different reading rates. Like if mm. I'm reading a very difficult um, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Mains, I'm probably reading at a different rate than you. Mm. Like you mm. read this one at a different rate than mm. I did. That's a good what point. What do you reckon about that? That's, a, that's some deep shit, yeah. 
I mean, there's something in that. There's definitely the reading rate. There's like the reading rate, the word by word, really consciously thinking about it versus the the scan. Like I'm scanning this story. Jonesy like- picked it. I know I have to read it for the episode. I need to kind of get it. So I'll flick through it and pick up what I need to pick up compared to like really digging deep and going mm. slow through it. Well, yeah, I think that's, that's good, where that's the, the challenge is because now it's like, all right, you know, especially for those books, you know, all right, you know, Jonesy's going to do the notes mm, mm, and mm. do a good job of it. So mm. then um, I've got the ability to to read a bit faster than a book. So I'm not that's even right. interested in this book anyway. And yeah. Vice versa. Oh, yeah. Well, like Enlightenment now, I didn't read the full book. There's also, I think another element of that is like, the books that are there's specific bits of the book that are in the episode and specific bits that aren't in the episode. Like Enlightenment Now, there was what like 15 different things, and we picked four of them to talk about. Yeah, I didn't read the other 11. I read the four that we had to talk about. I didn't read yeah. the other 11. Yeah. that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, which yeah. is which is rare. But you got that well, one we got... skip or the scan. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think I read. I think I read uh, Derek Sivers' book pretty quickly here. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a short book, man. <laughs> I still read it, it would quickly. Have taken you, it wouldn't take you about well, forty-five I, I, minutes I know to I read getting, it. I, I knew I wasn't getting slapped in the face, and I knew Siv is. Um, when I was reading it, I knew it wasn't going to. Mm. Do you reckon there's also the Sivers factor? We did the, I did the solo Sivers interview because at the time, we weren't sure what, what are we doing with the interviews. I was going to do Sivers. You're going to do Jocko. Yeah. Jocko dogged us. <laughs> you didn't end up doing Jocko. <laughs> I see where you're going with that. I. Truly, think there's zero in that. Yeah. And I, if it was if it was me, that would be a factor. Uh, you, I believe you when you say that's not a factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I'd say if it was, but yeah. I was actually when I listened to that, I thought that was a, a better interview. In most cases, I think we better having us both there. Yeah, like vast majority of cases, but I think for that case, hundred percent is better having you there because my curiosity in Sivers is nowhere near what yours mm. was, and that mind to mind map that you had. Like mine would have been fucking nothing. Mm. So I would have just been wasting time in there and mm. wasting his time, your time and everyone's time. So I think that's pretty that's a pretty like uh you know, pretty mature thing to say. Yeah. I'll take it. But it's yeah. bloody true though, yeah. <laughs> no, but I think it is. Like I think it's uh I probably would be less mature and I'd be more petty. But it's yeah. But I think most um I think that's a rare case. I think most of the time yeah. it's better having us both there. Yeah, I agree. I yeah. think it's I couldn't think of someone where it's better just me. I'm sure there would be a few. I think Jocko would be. Jocko was nah, kind of. No, I don't nah? reckon, man. No, nah, I don't reckon. I'm not that crazy yeah. about Jocko. I'd rather have. Yeah, that's true. As I said to you before, you bring a a, a lightness. I give. <laughs> I know you said, you said I give the the easy giggle <laughs> to the shit Correct. joke. I'll you, give. It, I'll, give I'll give the easily. lightness. Yeah, I, do. I think that's a big deal, man. <laughs> I think if I if me and Jocko were speaking, <laughs> it would just get Jocko six a.m. <laughs> You'd be, you'd be trying to be like, yeah, Jocko, I'm waking up that early too. I'm, I'm trying to do shit. Yeah. You'd laugh at Jocko and, <laughs> and Jocko would be awkward and he'd start giggling. What's the next one, Ashto? I don't know. Where are we up to? Yeah, this is a good book, man. Has this come up previously? My number two, 33 Strategies of War. This was my num- number, whatever we skipped previously that was mine. It's coming back now. I think it was my number seven or six or something. Yeah, but Robert Greene is like... You know it was coming high for me. Um, man, I've never really thought about strategy like ever until probably coming across Robert Greene's stuff, like how do you handle things and especially war. Like the idea that you're going to go into battle with someone and war with someone, the actual idea that's a thing, 
didn't occur to me before reading this. Mm. And it's been not many times it's happened. It's probably been only three times. We're like, all right, that's an enemy. Mm. And once you say that's an enemy. It's like, wartime, baby. <laughs> it's wartime, baby. It gets exciting. And then it's like, what do you do about that? Mm. That p- whole entire paradigm was not part of the brain that was a thing probably for both of us. I don't know if you've mm. had war on people um, quite explicitly. I had one probably in the last week actually. Really? Yeah, yeah. I thought you were done with – I know there was a period of your life like as in like recently. I had a colleague were... which is extremely close to it. Uh, not my current job, if anyone, my boss or anyone <laughs> like that listening current job, previous job. But yeah, no, external person quite recently. Okay. Who's a war, who's got a different perspective on things and is attacking um, something. And it's like, all right, after reading this book, you've got different strategies about how to attack them back, whether you, probably the most easy one is just to take the moral high ground mm. wherever you are, appeal to teamwork, morality, mm. um, higher values, whatever it might be, whatever plane they're playing on, you just take that step, that plane step above. But mm. there's plenty of strategies you can take on um, to do it. But I think number one is having it to declare someone your enemy, right? Yeah, that's a big one, man. Being like, okay, we're at war. I'm on one side, you're on the other side, you're my enemy. We're going to war. That's a that's a big step. It's a massive step. And if you don't do it, I think it's a way of life, right? Like people are doing it uh, unconsciously to that's you. Right. Yeah. And if you're like, I've been in the past, don't know about you, Astro, but quite like for me, just like naively just stepping through and someone sort of keeps going bang, 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 attacking you in different ways and you're just being the nice guy. There's no one say, fuck it. We're going to war, baby. That's right. That's right. Um I really liked, there's a couple of stories. I think the 33 strategies, I think the top eight or whatever that we covered, I thought they were phenomenal. I felt like some of the others were kind of dropped lower down, which is probably why I had this lower. This is probably like my fifth favorite Robert Greene book and this is not to say that it's bad. Like fifth favorite Robert Greene is fucking high. It's very high, yeah. (laughs) It's just like compared to like 48 Laws of Power, Laws of Human Nature, Mastery, Seduction, like it's, it's a hard competition. But uh, I really like the Robert Robert the Bruce, <laughs> the Scotland dude. Oh, I was yeah, like, every time, every time England attacks Scotland, Scotland would fuck him up in subtle, sneaky ways behind him. They'd be like, what the hell is going on? I, I really like that one. I really liked even the idea of uh, he, the story of Hitchcock and he, in his movies and he, how he got people. He directed his movies not by saying, hey, do this, but by showing them putting them in a situation where they felt the feeling that they had to feel rather than faking it and acting, but they actually genuinely felt it. Um, just things like that about how can you like spread your message to people's mind through an act of war, like you know, metaphorical war, rather than just saying, hey, do this. So like actually getting behind enemy lines and, and really infecting people like that. So I thought, that was, I thought some of those were phenomenal. Yeah, I was going to throw two more in there. Like uh, Gandhi, someone who you'd think of is the most peaceful mm. person ever, never does war. You would never, you would never relate Gandhi with war. Mm. But in this context, hundred percent, because he uh, he as one person yielded the biggest power you could possibly yield. One human being without any money, any clothes whatsoever, taking the whole entire British Empire and kicking <laughs> out of the country. In yeah. terms of when you put it in that way, it's like he went to war, and he was the most powerful person probably in history. And that was probably related to the moral high ground. Similar sort of thing, like um, the uh, the was it Cyrus victory. 
The Pyrrhic victory, yeah, the Pyrrhic yeah. victory. Um, similar thing, right? Like sometimes you're better off not going to – you're finding ways to go without losing any resources. Yeah. Sometimes you can win, but even if you win, go to where you still lose, yeah. Yeah, and number three is uh, that person who um, kicked the oar off the boat and yeah. didn't actually go to battle but found a way to maneuver where the other person just lost on a boat <laughs> on an island by themselves and, you know, you're moving away without engaging. <laughs> so not about – it's not always always about pulling the sword out and stabbing the other person and shooting them with a shotgun. That's right. The person who's just going wild on the beach trying to sling their sword around but there's no one there to fight and everyone's like, what are you doing, mate? That's it. And you're just casually rowing your oar. If you haven't listened to the episode, you probably don't know what the fuck we're talking about but go well, back and listen. Everyone so that's should a good listen story. to it because it is – story. Like as I said, I've never thought about strategy ever until coming across <laughs> Robert Green. He's a great man. We've spoken to him twice. Didn't re- he didn't oh, remember man. us the first time. <laughs> do you reckon the next time we speak to him in three, four years about his next book, do you reckon he'll remember the first two? I think, or at least I think he'll remember the second because the okay, first one, we were just, um, we were pretty weak. weak. Mm. And he doesn't like weakness. <laughs> it was pretty funny. I reckon it was, if it was me, if I was, if I was in that situation. You'd remember the weakness? And someone, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't remember the weakness, but if someone was like, oh, we interviewed you three years ago. I was like, yeah, I remember that. That was great. He's like, oh. He was like, what? I don't remember you guys. <laughs> He just, just let us have it. Apologize. <laughs> it's like, oh, don't remember. And why the why the fuck did my publisher get you? <laughs> why did I speak to you guys? Oh, that's funny. Two, you got a strong one here, Ash Joe. I've got a strong one. We should do these. I feel like I was more. We've gone through the full ten pack of White Claws hard seltzers at the moment. I feel like the the lower we go, like we get to the more important books, but I'm also less ready to talk about those books just because we've drunk more the whole time we've gone along. But number two for me, which was, what number was it for you? It was previous in, it was in your top 10. It was in my top mid, six or seven. Mid-pack, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Effective Executive. This was, I reckon, maybe season two. I reckon it was just when we got these new mics, we transitioned to the new mics. We were in Corey's old place in Mentone and when we recorded that episode phenomenal book from 50 years ago where this the stuff that he was talking about for office workers 50 years ago is still relevant and probably more relevant today and that's why i was like this is a phenomenal book yeah well the focus should be on effectiveness i mean there's what five different practices um know where your time goes focus on our contribution build on strengths first things first make effective decisions if i'd say the highlight was like a little thing under one of those categories, which is consolidating time, mm. which I've really done a very cr- practical thing that no one's speaking of right now. And I think more relevant than ever, especially yeah. in the new world of um, online, which everyone is. And that is just like consolidating your time. If you've got meetings, this is what I've done anyway. It's like stacking meetings on a couple of days a week um, and just saying you're not available on Wednesday and Friday. This is what I do. I hope for my... <laughs> colleagues aren't listening because i say no not available wednesday not about friday no matter what mm-hmm. and then stacking the meetings on the tuesday and the thursday so that day you just rock up meeting after meeting you just fucking get them done but the next day you got zero meetings mm. and you get the shit you actually do to get work done. like meetings people hang shit on meetings but yeah meetings are important like just yeah. even for personal relationships even for sharing ideas even for collaborating like yeah meetings are important as much as people hang shit on them but at the same time if you're meeting if you're meeting every day, you've got two one-hour meetings, one in the morning, one in the afternoon, yeah. one in the morning, one in the afternoon, one in the morning, 
Like you can't really get a whole bunch of shit no. done. If you can stack meeting, 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 do the important things that you got to do, and then you got a full day clear oh. to actually do important work where you get down and dirty, work hard. The important work it takes time, it takes focus. Give yourself a lot of free time where you're not trying to switch between tasks and actually achieve important things. Yeah, hundred percent. I think we're focusing a lot on the meeting shit here, which isn't relevant to everyone, but <laughs> like. If I just got one half an hour one for the whole entire day at 10 till 10.30, that will for some reason affect my whole day compared to having that, you know, bump the day it next. Does. If, if you, you got the full day ahead, it's all right. I've got I'm, my meeting at 10. Okay. Meeting's at 10. Maybe I'm starting at 8.30 or 9. I can't really get into this big task because I know I'm going to have to stop to go to this meeting. Even though the meeting's only 30 minutes, it's kind of killed three hours worth of time because yeah. you're like... You can't day, start think, stuff because of the yeah. meeting. You can't after the meeting. You're kind of thinking about the meeting afterwards. So you can't really start till later on. And then in the afternoon, you're probably a bit like, you're probably more effective in the morning anyway. So it's like, it's kind of killed a whole day. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so I don't know if that was getting that, but that's like, that's what I took away. Yeah. Like you got a lot out of that one as, as well last year. Decisions is also a big one. It's, I think, by far, because like you just, Roll through the motions. When decisions pop up, you make a decision, you move on. But when you think about reflectively, your decisions really uh, decide where your whole entire life goes. And mm. we don't put the time into it. You, we probably should be spending a lot of time on big decisions. That's right. Days. Think, yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people, uh, and when I say a lot of people, like everyone, including you and I, like we just think, okay, here's the decision. We make the decision. Let's just go with it. We probably don't put enough time into preparing for that decision, into making a genuine, proper decision. We probably think, okay, an executive they make decisions. Let's decide quick and move on. But we don't really like. There's probably implications beyond that that we haven't even considered yet. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot to making a decision. Well, that that was my number two. We're about to get into our number ones, and uh, I don't know what it is about you, Jonesy, but whenever I'm with you, I need to piss probably four times more regularly than I normally do. So let's have a quick pause before we get into our respective number ones. <sighs> mate, we're back in. I don't know what it is. Mate, what is it? I reckon if you compared my, say we record on Saturday mornings, we compare the Saturday morning pisses per hour compared to a normal Monday to Sunday pisses per hour. I don't know. It's man. like 6X, I reckon. Something to do with the... Um... A lot of coffees, a lot of waters. In we, this case, we, a lot of seltzers, a, a lot of Johnny Reds. Drink a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of fluid drinking, so that, that probably explains it. So that's my number one. What's your number one? <laughs> we haven't got to your number one yet. Have we? That was my number two. Yeah, yeah. So that's my number one. We're up one. to your number one. Yeah, yeah. Number one for me, the Almanac of Naval. Didn't get in your top ten. However... It wasn't in my top ten. Was it my, wasn't in my honorables either. There you go. But, Mate, I think it is probably hands down not a better book when it comes to how to make money mm. out of all the books that we've we've come across. Like the book came in three parts, but in this specific topic, which most people around the world are somewhat interested in, as there's three different parts to that. Number one is specific knowledge, mm-hmm. which is pretty much is what most of our books are focused on, like mm. whether it be outliers, whether it be building a skill stack, Medici effect, all that sort of stuff. Like how do you have um, some sort of scarcity that creates value in the marketplace and other people like that so they pay you more money. Yep. I think the other two parts are probably 
Well, the second part comes across in other books to some extent, like leverage. Like um, if you can leverage things, you're going to get more money. Like a couple hundred years ago, it was all about labor. If you could have a workforce of a couple hundred people, that's your form of leverage and you're probably going to be the richest person in the planet. Mm-hmm. The second form of leverage was leveraging money, like your Warren Buffetts and whatnot, a couple of generations before us. They managed money. They leveraged that in the best possible way out of anybody else. And because of that, they were the richest people yeah. of the, that generation. Now, the next form of leverage is, which is the form we're in right now, which is products. And this is where you got um, the zero products with no marginal costs of replication. So you build it online. I think Ferris sort of gets with that in his books and um, Taleb as well. But this is like your your books, your media, your movies, and probably most importantly, the code. The richest people in the world right now are through that yes. code. Zero cost to replicate code. And because of that, Facebook, when you get a new user, costs them zero money. Yep. For when we wrote our book, costs us zero money. After you've written the book once, it doesn't cost any more to mm. write it for the additional people. Yeah, it's the same amount of effort for us to, if one person buys it or a billion people buy it, it's the same effort. Exactly. So I think if someone wants to make money, you cycle through those three things, simple as that. You go, all right, what can I optimize on? It's, all right, can I get more specific knowledge that nobody else knows that is scarce in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. Okay, can't do that. Can I do leverage? Can I leverage people? Um, Can I leverage... Oh, sorry, I haven't got to the third one. <laughs> the three forms of leverage. Or third, which is probably not, don't get spoken about in books, is accountability, right? Mm. Like if you've got Skin in the Game, which is a book that's about to come out. Uh, that's an F coming soon. You've got things on the line. When you go into business, you can go bankrupt. Or uh, you know, if you're accountable for what you're doing, mm. there's a high value in that as well. And a lot of that time is doing business. Um, I'd say in my previous role was was a half government funded role and because of that there's zero accountability mm. in that mm. there's less money in that compared to being in the private sector where you can fail if you're accountable for what you do and you fail and you lose for it mm. and that's where it's sort of like if you launch a business you're accountable for what you do yeah. you're going to get full skin in the game and because of that you're going to get paid better for it as well I like it I went deep on that that stuff's great that? man <laughs> that's phenomenal <laughs> I don't know why I didn't have this higher up in my list. <laughs> well, it's, uh, as you were saying, for some reason you didn't like that um, some other bloke wrote for him. Okay, this is yeah, this is what I was. <laughs> this is the the payoff from the Sivers chat that didn't ever pay off. <laughs> so I wanted you to be like Sivers. Fucking all this was was blog posts that he'd already put up in the in on his <laughs> website, and then all he did was gotcha. fucking take those blog posts and put it into a book and print them off, which I hundred percent agree with. Mate, this is even beyond that. This is like fucking some other dude listening to fucking Naval on a podcast and was like, I'm going to turn this into a tweets. book. It's not even him. Reading his, his tweets. Tweet, fucking copy pasting his tweets into a book. <laughs> That's what I wanted the payoff to be. But uh, honestly, this is my own uh, what uh, irrationality. If this had been the Almanac of Naval written by Naval Ravikant, it would be a great book. But probably, this is the Almanac yeah. of Naval written by... Fucking Eric Jorgensen. Yeah, Eric York. <laughs> so, because, because of that, well, it, lost, your it lost three of, out of ten exactly at least. Exactly me and Siv is right. You probably read it a bit quicker. Mm. 
bit more scanny, mm. bit more Jones is picking it up because he's like, doing what's the notes. The, what's the tweet? Oh, here's the tweet. Okay. This is because all he did Read was like, tweet. okay, this Eric Jorgensen, I'm sure that, mate, good on him. For not, mm. People love this book. All he's done is like, okay, here's what Naval said in a podcast. Here's what he said in his tweet. Here's what he said in a blog post and put them all together. And was like, here's a book well, mate, that, written that, by Naval, but really it's me mm. writing Naval stuff. Well, that metaphor blew me away and I think it could be taken to any industry where it's like if you're in the construction sector, if you're a subby compared to if you're managing the subbies compared yep. to if you're managing the subbies, every time you're growing in terms of your accountability mm. and then you know if you're someone who comes in and then you find a way to disrupt the construction sector with a line of code that mm. takes on accountability, that has the leverage and specific, that's how people become billionaires. Agreed. Not every, we're not going to be a billionaire, Ash Show. <laughs> could be. Like maybe, you could be. Maybe. Who knows? But I think if we are, 100% is because you're tapping into these three things. 100%. Even if you're rich, you're at least tapping into one of them. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I like it. It didn't make my list. And probably the core information should have. My only rationality, the packaging didn't do it for me. Probably, I probably should have. I probably should bump it up higher. <laughs> We'll take that. I loved your number one here. Mate, my number one, the inner game of tennis. And, uh, mate, this one fucking blew me away. Mm. When I was reading, this is the first time I was like, wow, this is a book that's blown me away for the first time in a long time. We've read a fucking lot of books, both of us. Yeah. And, you know, early on, you know, the first 10 books probably all blew me away. Probably then 10 of the next 30 probably blew me away. It's been a long time since I've been fucking blown away by a book, but this was the one that really fucking got me. This blew me away. That's it. Like I, I, I totally agree, but not for myself. It's like anyone who's, anyone who's a, an elite performer at anything, like Corey, who's a ballet dancer, mm. or anyone who has to get on stage and whatever it might be for some people in their careers, public speaking, where you've got a moment, like you got to own sort of thing. This is the book for that mm. sort of person. And there's so many people who haven't come across this idea who are that type of career. Um, but that's for the elite performer. But obviously, you could apply it to you know, ourselves or mm. whatever you might be doing. Mate, there was two things I wanted to... Mate, I, I fucking... I hold shit in my brain. One was the comment on the Derek Sivers book. You know, this is just nice blog post, not really a book, which I kind of agree with. But I wanted to kind of counter you with the Naval book. Like, it's not even... it's. One step below blog post is somebody else's blog post. <laughs> yeah. The other one was this: was you're like, this is a great book for peak performers. I probably kind of disagree with that a mm-hmm. little bit. I feel like it's kind of like learning a new skill for the first time as well. He talks about the inner game of tennis. So there's an outer game and an inner game. The outer game, if you're playing tennis, the game is against the opponent. You're scoring points. You're hitting back and forth. You want to beat the other person. The inner game is a game you're playing in your own brain. That's the the game where you try to hit a forehand with a with that extra bit of top spin into the back far corner to really hit that winner. And you because your brain really wants to do it, you're thinking about it so much, you probably fuck it up. Yeah. You probably tighten the bicep a little too much. You probably turn the wrist a little bit too much. And the because the two people within yourself, he calls it the self one and the self two, the teller and the doer, your brain is telling your wrist to turn over to give that extra bit of top spin. It's telling your fingers to grip the racket tighter to really smack this really hard. Compared to the doer, which is actually the person inside of you doing it, which I think is like the inner game. It's the battle between your brain telling your body what to do. Your body knows what to do. Your brain can't actually do anything. But it's a, that's a kind of the, the dichotomy there. Absolutely. Well, it's the two cells 
Yeah, I think like for me personally and maybe yourself, Ash, maybe you, you've got the confidence as soon as you walk on the dance floor. But I think it's exactly <laughs> I that. I definitely don't. <laughs> when, like, well, maybe for you and everyone else then. But when you go on to the dance floor at the start, you're dead sober. Mm. You got yourself one just saying, what are you doing there? Just yeah. Put your arms moving up and down, your yeah. legs Why is that twitching. hip moving off to the left so much? Why, why, is, Pure, why is that foot over one, in right? that point in that direction? One? Yeah. That's self one. Yeah. You're thinking about what you're doing. Yeah. Apply that to when you're trying to do that in a professional context, whatever it might be, trying to hit the golf ball or something. You're thinking. Mm. Compared to that when you're 10 beers deep, I don't think you have to be – I don't think you have to be 10 beers deep for self two to kill it. But, right, like self two. So alcohol is when one way to turn off self one, yeah. When you think not thinking about it, you're just in the zone um, and you're just doing it. And you, right. the, the way you dance when you're just in the zone, it's just completely <laughs> different. Like I, I don't know if you've seen my – you've probably seen a few of my wild um, great dance moves actually. I, I've seen back in September 2016, zero alcohol was involved with this and you were – Full self two, no self one. Your brain wasn't telling your body what to do. Your body was just doing it. We're at the Tony Robbins, <laughs> unleash the power within. You were just fucking, you literally fucking ripped your shirt in half. You opened up, you're just fucking grooving. Arms are going everywhere. Hips are going everywhere. Chest was going everywhere. And Tony was like, yeah, he's got it. He pointed <laughs> that was at me. Full, Robbins he pointed to you. He, he was like, there. he's got it. That was full self two. Zero yeah. alcohol. But you switched off self one and you were That's in it. the fucking moment. You were in the zone. And I had the man, Robbo. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but there's a lot in that one. I, I do love that book, actually. Yeah. I think it's for everyone. I think it helped. I read this coinciding in a time where I kind of rekindled an interest in tennis. In my early days, I made top 16 of nationals for, in a tennis competition. Papua New Guinea nationals. <laughs> <laughs> top I won one game to make it through to the top 16. That there sucks. Was, there was 32 people in the tournament. Oh, God. <laughs> Made top 16 of national. Anyway, so I got back into tennis over lockdown. There wasn't, there. <laughs> there wasn't much that we could do during lockdown, but tennis eventually was one thing we could do. So I kind of had a re, I reignited my interest in tennis. So the metaphor of tennis made sense, but I think if you read it as a metaphorical tennis and you can apply that tennis to anything dancing public speaking learning any new skill learning to draw learning to speak learning to write whatever it is any new skill that you want to pick up i think the metaphorical tennis is phenomenal True for everyone i think when you read the book whatever it is for you dancing's one for me i think table tennis i remember when i was in spain there was a uh, camp i was staying at and it was boozy every day like you're, you're blind there's free booze all that sort of stuff and um i remember just this hitting this zone of table tennis where I was unbeatable for three days because I was just like, <laughs> wasn't even thinking. I was That's just it. flowing. Full self too. Pure, I've never been in a bigger self too <laughs> moment than, um, I think it was Cardiz or something. It was like a mountain at a camp or something. Anyway, never been close to that. But when I was reading that book, I was like, that explains sort of why I was good at table tennis that time. Interesting. I like it. So this is a full full 10 out of 10 for me, full blow away. As I mentioned earlier, the, probably the highest... Combined rating, actually, I'd say. Pretty out of high. The, Pretty high, yeah. Well, eight, from this season, eight yeah. Eight plus yeah. 10. Yeah, from this season, this yeah. Season, I agree. Yeah. Um, this, uh, the guy kind of went into Timothy Galway. Went to, he was kind of like, okay, I fucking nailed this tennis. It was a real black swan of really good book. Okay, what tennis is one thing. What other rich, old, uh, privileged white guy sports 
can I do? <laughs> so he wrote the inner game of golf, the inner game of skiing, the inner game of music. That's proper. Just <laughs> for explore, exploit. He exploited. <laughs> do you just sub out words there, Ash? I've Mate, read his other ones. I, I, uh, I'm reading the inner game of golf right now. Just subbing out words. Mate, it's it literally, he went through the book and he was like, control F. <laughs> Tennis, replace with golf. Here's control R. I think that's a new thing you need to control, replace. Hit print. Tennis with golf. And then sold another couple of million books. No, but the indie game of golf is fantastic. I'm currently going through a a golf uh, addiction. I would say it's at Mm. addiction level. It's multiple times a week going to the golf course in the middle of the workday, playing golf, trying to improve golf. Is your boss listening right now, Asha? Well, thankfully, my number two book, The Effective Executive, I've kind of structured my day in a way ah, that I get effective <laughs> and it can release some Too time effective. for golf. Uh, but without doubt, the times that you think about hitting a drive off the tee as hard as you possibly can, that's mm. self one, the brain saying, hit it hard, hit it hard, fucking smack this motherfucker, is going to be the worst drive that you ever do. Well, if your exactly brain is telling your you body got, what uh, to do. Got the yeah. army of people watching now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Compare that to the time where you, your brain is not thinking, your brain is occupied. You're looking at the blade of grass and how that blade of grass is blowing in the wind next to the ball and your body feels it and you just smack it, you know, 250 meters straight clean down the fairway. How many times have you my done record that? Is, my record was 204 meters so, so far. So you never done that? <laughs> not 250. I've done 204. Someone else did though. <laughs> Some, someone could hit it 250 using the inner game of golf. <laughs> but I, I think it's just... Uh, yeah, no, it's been it's it, that was a that was like the one different outside of the realm. After reading three hundred books, I didn't think I'd be blown away. This was a blow away. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like it. I'm keen to play golf, man. I'm yeah. keen to, I'm keen <laughs> to get on it. it. Mate, let's get on it for one. Yeah, one. It's one of those things I've never really gotten into, but I'm I'm keen. I like the idea of, uh, yeah, just walking around hitting a ball. I don't want to go too deep into golf, but I've it, in the last six weeks in developed some kind of weird addiction to golf and I've also sucked three other blokes into my vortex and you mm. could be the fourth. I've had okay. three other people I've played golf with who instantly got addicted. Just, I don't know, just walking around, you're in nature, you're in grass, sun's shining, you're not thinking about too much else, you're just trying to hit it. It's really hard to do. It's easy to do okay. It's really hard to do really well. Like it's a big learning curve and I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come in and smack it. <laughs> Too much on the end of game of golf here, but, but I, I did have one game. Um, it was my third game ever. I wasn't that long. It was at someone else's bucks, and I was and I fucking <laughs> I smacked it. I was like, "What the hell?" <laughs> but that day, and then I tried to replicate the day, and I sucked. But I was full in a game. For this one is one. Day. This is one specific story. But literally on Tuesday this week, I went and played, and there was nobody else on the course. It was like thirteen degrees and almost about to rain. And I was like, this is the perfect time for me to, as a shit beginner, to go play golf because nobody else is going to be there. The course is empty. On the fourth hole, I reckon I hit at least seven times off the tee, trying to drive, trying to drive it really far in the middle of nowhere. Some went three meters to my left. Some went 30 meters to my right. Some went just dribbled in front. Some went backwards. I don't even know how that went backwards. And I was running around picking up all these balls and, and the fucking groundsman on his tractor drove over and sat there and was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I just had to run around and pick up all my balls. I had a few cracks at it. He's like, you know what? I'm going to sit here. I'm going to give you a bit of mental pressure and see how you go. And it could have gone one of two ways. It could have been 
the worst drive I ever did or the best drive I ever did. Became the best. Just smacked it clean, straight, Jeez. dead straight, 204 meters, par four, managed to birdie it. Well, there you go, best mate. After drive. that 10 minutes of talking about in a game of golf, <laughs> you just disproved it by having the pressure of the pressure. system two. Uh, being everything. So there you go. That's you a go. good wrap-up of this disclaiming the number debunking one. debunking the book. Debunking the whole entire book. Mate, so it's... Uh, We've got through it. I think that was a strong... I think it was really strong 10, man. It's ridiculous that our... Normally, obviously, there's two people, 10 each. Normally, we have about 13 or 14 books, mm. as in like there's a lot of crossover and a few extras. This is what we did... 16 or 18 different books between the two of us for our 10. Not a lot of crossover, but all very, very strong. Yeah, 100%. Mate, I see you've got the, the next list coming through. I don't think we go through it. I think it's just exciting and when they pop up. We leave the cliffhanger of we've, we've, planned, out, we've planned out what you uh, two years ago branded launch month. We've got launch month coming up. We've brand, there's a phenomenal list of books coming up for launch month. Yeah. Well, you know, we can drop a couple, can we? <laughs> categories. I like you probably predict the categories. Okay, cat- okay. Obviously, launch month, the idea is we kind of want to... What, what's the main things? New Year's resolutions. What does everyone want to do? It's a bit of money, a bit of health, a bit of career, a bit of general personal development stuff, a bit of relationship stuff, a bit of That's business it. stuff. A bit yeah. of business stuff. A bit of everything, which is what our podcast covers, <laughs> I'd say. It's quite profound. I think we've got some great, uh, some phenomenal books coming up. Like I know you, you were saying before, you haven't been slapped across the face by a, in a game of tennis or something like that in a while, but maybe not, it's not slapping the face, but I think it's still, I'm still not getting weakened by the books I'm reading. There's some think. face slappers coming. Yeah. Mm. Well, not necessarily face, but still like every book I read, there's still so many books I'm like just that engaged where you're just mm. learning that much shit that it's, it's like, it's not – you think it's diminishing returns and then you keep reading and it's still going at a somewhat linear direction. I would agree. And one specific example, productivity. You know, we've done all the best productivity books there are. The Effective Executive, obviously, that we just spoke about. Eat That Frog, The One Thing, Getting Things Done. All these productivity books, I was like, you know what? We've read pretty much everything there is to read about productivity. I'll make a prediction. Come best of – 20 best of season six in May coming up, you know, next year. I reckon my number one could be a productivity book. Have I read it yet? Yeah. Yeah, you've read it. What read is it? it. <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to spoil it. That's a cliffhanger. But I reckon Jesus. now my number one for next best of could be a productivity book, even though I thought I'd read everything there was about productivity. Jesus. Man, it's on this list. Look at the the third thing down on our notes right now. Ah, okay. I like it. You've read it. I like it. In fact, we may have already recorded the episode. <laughs> oh, God. There you go. That's no, a good one, man. Equally, geez, look at that list. There's some bloody good books mm. coming up. So, listen in. Um, please give us a five-star review. Drop that person who said the best podcast I've ever listened to. But still one, one star. star. <laughs> Let's just get rid of that bloke. Um, leave us some reviews. Go out and buy our book. It's still the best product that we we'll oh, yeah. put together. Um, it's more expensive than most books you'll buy, admittedly, but we'll stand behind and say it's going to be worth it. Agreed. The shit they never taught you.com or what you will learn.com slash the shit. 
buy it selling well books. and we're getting the feedback that it's um what we more so than what we hoped it would be it's the best 115 books out of everyone knows we've read a lot of bloody books and we've put in our own style and oh, yeah. putting our own anecdotes so it's very easy to digest to digest and everything like that so yeah even if you want to support the podcast that's how you can do it go and buy the book for yourself or someone else other than that, what else you got to drop for us, Asher? What other wisdom bombs? That was it. I was just thinking, we finished off the White Claws. The Johnny Red, there's like a a quarter of a standard drink left. I reckon it's time for a burger in a casino and then see where the night takes us. Let's go and celebrate. <laughs> Party time! Yeah.